Well, we're in a series right now called Grow, and the reason why uh, we're doing this series is uh, because 2020 happened. Anybody, uh, anybody realize that it's been a little tumultuous in this year? And I saw another funny meme that I thought I'd be able to show you guys here this morning uh, from 2020. I finished Netflix today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's not a whole lot to do, is there? I mean, if you're not an outdoors person right now, you are just, it, you're like, oh, winter's coming. This is not gonna be good. There's not, a, there's not a whole lot happening except for being able to get outside, but isn't it awesome to be able to live in Wisconsin? It's beautiful weather and camping and lakes and uh, where you can go out and um, feed the mosquitoes. I heard that this week. John Hudson said that. I was like, hey, John, what are you up? He's like, I'll just outside feeding the mosquitoes. I thought, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me explain. So mosquitoes, they bite you. They suck your blood. That's okay. Got it. All right. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to just draw us back to the reason why we're doing this series. The reason why we, we feel so passionate about this is because I believe that the Lord wants to work and move in the midst of all the things that are happening around us, in the midst of the, the chaos and just lack of stability and where it just seems like every day is a changing thing happening and it can create just a lot of angst in us. It can create a lot of angst in me. And, but, I, but one of the things that the Lord just pointed me to, because I, I felt like I was having a hard time just grounding myself, and one of the things that I, I believe the Lord spoke to me and I wanted to be able to make it known to the whole church was that God wants to use this to grow us that he's gonna use all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So he's gonna use COVID-19 and riots and all the, the chaos that's happening around us for the purpose of making us more like Jesus, for being able to have us in his image so that we can shine brighter in the midst of all that's happening. I just wanna make sure that we as a church, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that we keep our eyes fixed on our real home and not just on this temporary place that we're gonna be living here for a little while until it's all said and done, that we don't make this our residency. We remember that our residency, our home is in heaven. And that's what we look forward to. That's what we are excited about. And that there's this, this time that we, call this mortal life here on earth, and the Lord has some things that he wants us to do, and mostly to bring as many people with us as possible to heaven. And so I want to make sure that we stay focused, fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on being citizens of our real home, and that is in heaven. See, the Apostle Paul, his heart for the church was so clear. You read his letters to the, these young churches, and he was constantly praying and speaking, grow, I want you to grow, use this to grow, grow in understanding and knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ, grow in working and operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, grow. And so, so Paul was fervently praying for these churches to grow. And so when you read Paul's writings, you'll see it everywhere, uh, his desire for the church to grow. And some of these churches, they were going through some awful stuff, way worse than what we're experiencing. Their lives were on the line. They were being persecuted by the, the Roman Empire. I mean, it was bad times for them too, for a lot of them. And he's calling them in the midst of the trouble to grow. Other times, Paul would end his letters with this call to grow, and, and, and it would... This call was to become more like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. And I let that linger for, my, for myself, and I want that to linger for you here this morning. Here, Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian church, his second letter, and he says, this is it. This is my last letter to you, my last words. How many of you guys have ever been there for someone's last words? 
It's a very powerful moment. And you remember those words, and they stick with you to be able to hear the last words. And so here, Paul, he's wanting the church to hear his last words and to let them stick. And at that point, you got to perk up a little bit. He said, this is the last words. This must be really important. And so this is what Paul continues to say. He said, be joyful, grow in maturity, encourage each other, live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. Just think about our world right now. Would you agree? Hey, honey. I love that little girl. Uh, Kids in church. Your kids aren't distracting, just mine. But be joyful. It's hard to find some joy in the world, isn't it? Growing in maturity. It's hard to find some maturity, isn't it? I mean, it almost feels like we've gone back to seventh grade. You know, seventh grade playground. Like we're fighting again, you know, over the kickball or friends or something. You know, it just... It feels like that culturally has just, it's gone to a new level of immaturity. No amens? Okay. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Encourage each other. It's really hard to find some encouragement these days, isn't it? It's hard to find a place where you're encouraged and not discouraged. Live in harmony and peace. Well, that one's a tough one. And that the God of love and peace, this love would fill our lives. See, this is the opportunity that we have. I want you guys to hear me this morning. We have an opportunity as a church right now. When there is none of this happening in our world, we have the opportunity to be able to live joyful lives, to mature, to be able to have this where we're encouraging one another, loving one another, being united even though we're very different and we have different opinions and different, di- different political views and all the differences, yet we can be united. How, many of, how much of our world is desperate for wanting some of that? I believe our world is desperate, and the church has the solution. The church has the formula, so to speak. The church has the answer. And here Paul is telling them this, and he's calling them up to live this higher life so they could be a bright light and pull as many people into the kingdom of God as possible with them. Now this morning, I want to focus on that phrase, grow in maturity, And maturity simply means full development, that you're growing and and being fully developed. Now, maturity is a funny thing because I think that we have a hard time assessing our own maturity. My kids think they are way more mature than they really are. Daddy, I want to (laughs) drive. No, you're too young. No, Dad, I got this. I saw what you did. You just, you know, wheel, gas pedal, it's simple, you know. No, you're not mature enough. I mean, it's hard for them to understand their limitations and that they don't have the maturity for being able to do that. And then teenagers, you know, that that, that goes to another level. And and I'm I'm not meaning to offend you here this morning, teenagers, but after all the years of being a youth pastor, I didn't have one teenager come to me and say, you know, Kevin, I just need to let you know, I am so thankful for my mom and dad. They set a curfew on me. And the And the reason why is because they just love me so much. They know that my frontal lobe is not fully developed and that I don't quite have the maturity to be able to uh, do that. No, I'll I'll have her. No, you're good. No? Okay. (laughs) I was was right in the middle of it too. You know, I I never have had any teenager say, I just know that I'm not at the point of making really wise decisions after midnight, so I'm so thankful my parents have put that limitation on me. Any of you guys ever hear that before? 
Well, you didn't send them to youth group if that was the case. And they probably don't need to go to youth group if they got that attitude. They're good. They're good to go. See, it's hard when we're teenagers to assess their own maturity. And I think about myself, I'll, I'll pick on myself here this morning, is that when, when Kristen and I got engaged at 19 and got married at 20, I was so mature. I was ahead everyone else at 20 years old. That's why I could get married at 20 and other people couldn't, because I was so mature. Can someone laugh at how ridiculous that is? I mean, I look back and I was like, I can't believe they let us get married. What were they thinking? We still have our baby faces. I mean, come on. I mean, we are just like learning how to, for the first time, learning how to cook and do laundry. I mean, what were they thinking of letting us get married? You know, it's so hard to assess our own maturity and where we're at. And I think it's so true for our lives, just whatever stage we're at. And here's the other thing about maturing is that we normally score ourselves really high on maturity and we score others very low. You know, we do the whole comparison game and we always compare ourselves with someone that is ridiculously less mature than us, don't we? You know, we're always, we, we don't want to make close comparisons. We always make the, the massive distinctions of the comparisons with, with other people. But I also think that some of you, you're too hard on yourself and you're actually more mature than you think you are. And I've talked to some of you and because you, and I think the reason why is that you have, you, we have this standard of what we think is maturity in the Christian world. But a lot of times I'm finding it doesn't really line up with God's standard and definition of maturity. That the standard is not the same, and so we have a hard time finding God's scale and his standard. Now this morning, I wanna just start laying out God's standard and scale when he looks at it, when, uh, of judging our maturity and determining how mature we really are. And it's based off of what uh, I'm gonna read here in a moment, but it, there's, I think there's just a lot of misconceptions about this, and I wanna kinda debunk some of those misconceptions about our Christian maturity. And I've talked to a lot of you, and I, I just feel like there's so many uh, Christians that are walking around just um, feeling less than, feeling I'm not mature, I'm not there. because, And then I'll hear them, the, the because, and a lot of times I'm thinking, man, that has nothing to do with maturity. Because what, what I found is that a lot of times we as Christians base our maturity off of gifts. So we, we will see somebody uh, preaching or teaching or uh, healing people or prophesying or speaking in tongues or something like that, and we kind of look at them all like, whoa, they must be so mature. Look at them. In fact, the, the Bible says the exact opposite. That's not the mark of maturity is, is what, it, what you do and how that looks like. And I want to show you what the true mark of maturity is this morning. So here's the first mark of maturity. It's the most important of all. And that is mature believers walk in love and unity with each other. That is the highest mark of our maturity is our ability to walk in love and unity with each other. That's the highest thing. It's not gifts. I want to show you this. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this very thing. See, the Corinthian church, if you read about this church, they thought they were pretty awesome. And the reason why they thought they were awesome is because they had just uh, the gifts of God fully expressed. They were, they were moving in the gifts of God, which is great, but they were missing it. And the Apostle Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, so if I speak in tongues, but have not loved a love for others growing out of God's love for me, then I am, 
I have become only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, just an annoying distraction. That's why I wanted to have the amplified because it adds some things that I think are kind of funny. See, gifts are just that. They're gifts. You cannot boast and brag about a gift. If someone gives you a gift, you're like, I earned that. Yeah, that's mine. And I am more mature because I, somebody gave me this gift. You'd be like, are you serious, Kevin? You are just off your rocker. Because you know that a gift is not given based off of this merit or because you're, you're, you're so good. It's, it's just simply a gift. And God loves to give us his gifts. And this is just one of his gifts. Maturity is not based off of gifts. We didn't get them. The only reason why we got them was because we said, yes, let me just say this, though. The whole reason for gifts is to show the love of God. And so we can we can operate in our gifts and lack love. And this is what Paul keeps on making this comparison here is that if you operate in your gifts, yet you're lacking in love, it is nothing. It voids itself out. It means nothing. And this is what he keeps on talking about. You're just an annoying distraction if you operate in your gifts all the time, but you don't love people because the whole point of the gifts is to help you love people better. You hear me this morning. And so if you're around just talking in tongues all the time and look at me, oh my, I got the gift of speaking in tongues and you're just going to town and yet you're not loving and it's a pride thing, Paul says it means nothing. That's not maturity. It's actually immaturity at that point. And then he goes on, if I had the gift of prophecy and speak a new message from God to the people and understand all mysteries and possess, get this, all knowledge. So you got four doctorate degrees in seminary and, and you know all the theologies of the world and all the religions of the world and you, you, you just know it all, but you don't love. God says it's nothing. But if you use all of that knowledge to love people, now it's everything. But there's this temptation when we gain these things to go look at me instead of look at God. And that's where, that's where you can see the immaturity coming up when you have gifts, when you acquire knowledge, and it's a look at me instead of look at God. And if I have all sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, but do not have love reaching out to others, here it is, I am nothing. Let that sit. You can have all the Christian knowledge in the world. You, hear, you, can, you can have taken in all the best teachings, Christian teachings, have superior knowledge and have superior teaching. You can have all faith so that you could remove a mountain. But the Bible says, if you don't love, it's all voided out. You just, you ran off the road. You got outside the guardrails and now it all voids itself out. And I want to make this a little bit more personal in this, this faith part of it. If you have all faith so that you could remove mountains but have not loved, I'm nothing. See, I've been hearing just Christians all across our land, they're accusing people, other Christians, of not having enough faith because they're wearing a mask or they're not going to church. And it, man, it just makes my heart sink because I'm thinking, that's not love. I don't use my faith to throw, throw someone else down and to make someone else feel less than. I use my faith to build them up and to encourage them. And so as soon as we start saying, well, if you just had more faith like me, you might not say that next part, like me, then you would come to church. Then you wouldn't need to wear a mask. I mean, that's the part where I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. This is not loving at all. And if you have faith, that you don't say, oh, man, I don't need to wear a mask at faith or I'm gonna go to church, that, that's great. 
It's really a good thing. But don't run into the ditch now and start pointing the finger and start accusing. And because now you have just voided out your faith and the Bible says, I am nothing at that point. You guys hear me this morning. I wanna make sure that we stay our eyes fixed on Jesus, our eyes fixed on love and to make sure that we're not getting off into these ditches. And then here's the next one. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if I surrender my body to be burned, those are some big deals. But I do not have love. It does me no good at all. Love's kind of a big deal. I think that's what I've concluded from that scripture. Love is really, really important. And without love as the center, the foundation, nothing else matters. And there's no way we can have maturity and be mature Christians unless love is at the center of our lives. If we get off kilter and start focusing on the gifts or focusing on faith or focusing on, on, on giving all of our stuff away for the poor, and neglect love, we're in trouble. But if we do all of that and say we're doing it for love, we're a powerful church at that point. They go together, and once they get separated out, we get in trouble. Maturity, it's based on a choice, church, to die to our sinful passions and desires and to love unconditionally. That's what maturity is. Your ability, how mature you are, is, is determined by how well you love unconditionally. Not by how often you go to church, not by how long you've been a Christian, not by how many Christian medals you have in the sense of all the gifts you have. It's your ability to be able to love. And I, if there's a hashtag part of my message, if there's something that kind of sums it all up, it's right here. So you might want to listen. Maturity is not given. It's grown. Maturity is not given, it's grown, which means it takes time. It needs to be developed. We need to be able to mature or grow up. And I think that what I'm getting at is that our celebrity culture loves to elevate the gifts and call that maturity. We see someone that's a faith healer, and that's amazing, and I love that. And we just had a healing this morning. It's like, yes, woo! But to say, to look at that and say, wow, he must be really mature, that's dangerous. Where now we start elevating the person instead of the gift that God has given them, elevate our God instead. What maturity would be is, man, that's a great gift. And if he's loving people well around him, that's really the true marker. Is he loving his wife? Is he loving his kids? Is he loving his church well? And if so, he's a mature man of God. If he's doing a horrible job at loving the people around him, and yet he has the gift of healing masses, the Bible says it means nothing without love. That, there's no maturity there. That love is the marker of our maturity as believers, which means that a church that's filled with a lot of maturity, love is high, and forgiveness is high. One of the definitions of love is it keeps no record of wrong, which means in a healthy, life-giving church, there is a lot of forgiveness happening, probably on a daily basis, because we do a lot of things to each other that irritate each other and make each other mad and, or you know, saying something that, that is offensive. We do that a lot in the church. So the, the marker is not saying, well, well, we just need to eliminate all of that. Yeah, we should probably get better at that. But the marker is our ability to forgive that. 
That's the marker of, of true maturity within a church and with believers is our ability to, to love that way. To ha- a, a mature church, mature believers have, have lots of patience with each other. They endure troubles together and don't give up. Mature believers are able to bear others' injuries and offenses. Mature believers aren't gossiping, slandering, and backbiting because all those things divide us, and yet Christ wants us to be united. When problems arise for a mature church, mature believers go directly to those people that they have the issue with, not some safe person to be able to hide their secrets. Have you ever had that before? I have. This is what it looks like, and this is a very dangerous thing, and I'm learning. And, and here, here before, I, before you guys start feeling condemned, I've done it, okay? <laughs> so you just need to know all these things that, like, oh my gosh, Kevin's coming across. No, I'm not. <laughs> I've done them. That's why I'm preaching out them, because I've lived it. But this is, have you ever had this before where someone comes up to you and they say, hey, hey uh, Kevin, I need to tell you something, but I need you to keep it a secret, okay? You can't tell everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah, I can keep that a secret. Yeah, what is it? Well, this person, I'm telling you, they did this, this, and this, and this. And I just need to vent some, to someone, and I need to tell a safe person, can you keep my secret against them, Kevin? Oh, yeah, yeah, you can count on me. I can keep a secret, <laughs> I love how Bill Schifferl on our Jefferson campus said it. He says, I'm really good at keeping secrets, but all the people I tell aren't. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? So this is what happens, though. So we keep the secret, and what we don't realize is that a seed has been planted. And, and, and the seed is called the seed of discord, the Bible describes. It's been planted in our heart. And that can lay dormant in me for a long time. And so, so this is how it comes alive, that seed is now I have a run-in with that person that this person was talking about. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, you were right. This person's a jerk. Yeah, it, it, it is true. And, and all of a sudden, that seed that was planted a couple years ago even, now all of a sudden, bam, it takes root and it starts growing. Now, now I got a weed in my heart. This is what's so dangerous about keeping secrets like that. But a mature church says this, hey, I'm hearing you. That sounds really painful of what what you're describing. Gosh, I I feel your hurt. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew 18. Go to that person and talk to him about it. Don't come to me. Nothing's gonna get healed. All that's gonna happen is is I'm gonna get a seed planted in my heart and then it's gonna end up shooting up when I don't want it and then I'm gonna have to deal with it. You guys hear me this morning, you follow me. This is what a mature church does. They don't hide each other's secrets. They encourage that person to bring it to the light so that God can bring healing to that relationship and not create these seeds of discord. And I'm sure you maybe had that in your family growing up where you had all these little triangulars. You know what I mean by a triangular? This person tells this person, but not this person. This person tells this person, but not this person. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the triangular of three friends becomes two friends really quickly. It's because of this is that we want these safe places to hide our secrets. I'm just telling you, church, don't do it. It's a trap of the enemy. And and mature believers, they're recognized by the way that they love each other and stay united during difficult times. Church, the issues of COVID-19, it's exposing us. It's either exposing you maturity because you're really excited. You're like, yes, I am loving people that are just really getting underneath my skin right now. Or you're going, I'm doing a horrible at loving people that have opposing views in me. And I really just want to cuss them out right now. Yeah, I said that. Sorry. Let's be honest here this morning, though. I mean, I'm seeing it all over online, even among Christians. 
And so I just, I, I want to call us this morning, church, to maturity, to respond with maturity. We got two laws. There's, we're, we're talking a lot about different regulations and different laws that are coming down the pipe, and that's all important. I love how our nation is built on all these freedoms. It's a God thing. But as believers, we are called to two laws above all other laws, and that is to love the Lord our God with everything we got and to love people with everything that we got. And everything else has to be underneath of those two laws. And if those, these, these national laws start superseding the laws of God, we're in trouble. And our church is going to be sunk. And so I'm calling you as bodies of believers, as Christians, to rise up and let the two laws of God be the laws in the land, in our churches, and everything else has to fall underneath of those two laws. Amen? Here's another marker of a mature believer, is that mature believers... They encourage each other, not discourage. They encourage each other. Paul said, grow in maturity. And then the second thing he said was, encourage each other. Now, I think that these all go together. That be joyful, that's a sign of being a mature believer, that you're able to be joyful in the midst of trouble and trial. That's maturity. Being able to love people that aren't like you, don't talk like you, think like you, look like you, that's maturity. Being united with people that, that are hard to be united with, but you're choosing unity, that's maturity. And then here's the other one. Maturity is the ability to encourage one another. Encouragement, this word comes from an old French word, and it means make strong. Isn't that good? When you encourage someone, you make them strong. Guess what happens when you discourage someone? You make them weak. So let me ask you, are you someone that gives people courage or do you take courage from them? Isn't that crazy? That we have the ability to give people courage. You got this. The spirit of God who lives in you is greater than he that lives in this world. Go, go, go. Don't give up. You got this. You can do this. God's made you so wonderful. Your worth and value is secure in him. That's you're, you're encouraging them. You're giving them courage. Otherwise, you can tear them down. And you can discourage. And this is where Paul says, encourage each other. Encourage each other. Here's what I found, is that God encourages us a lot of times by sending the right people our way. 2 Corinthians 7, 6 says this, but God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Isn't that cool? God saw that Timothy needs, needed some encouragement. So guess what he did to break off the discouragement off of Paul's life? He sent him Titus. And then Titus gave Paul courage. He built him up. He spurred, he spurred Paul, keep on going. You're making a difference. The world's being turned upside down. Keep on going, Paul. Endure the troubles. Endure the persecution. Endure all the chaos. The gospel is going forth, Paul. Keep on going, buddy. He sent a, a Titus. I want to ask you, do you have a Titus in your life? Man, you need one. Especially now, the days that we're living in, you need a Titus. And if you don't have a Titus, oh, get a Titus. Pray for a Titus. Somebody that's going to come into your life and is going to give you courage. Who's going to build you up and not tear you down. Who's going to give you just the, the hope and, the, and God's heart and perspective for your life when you can't see it and you can't feel it. 
Look at the purpose, one of the purposes of the church in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Encouragement, it builds, it builds people up. And here Paul, he's, he's telling this church, good job. You're doing it. You're building, you're building each other up. Good job. Keep on going. Keep on doing it. And then in Hebrews 10.25, says this, and let's not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The whole point of this church, why we meet together, is to encourage each other, to give each other courage. How many of you guys were encouraged by being able to see a couple healings this morning? Did anybody give, get courage from that? Yeah. Look at God, he's moving. How many of you guys were encouraged by the worship? that our God's greater and he's bigger and he's got this. How many of you guys were encouraged by that? Once a week, though, for an hour and 15 minutes isn't gonna be enough. Hope you just heard that. Not the days that we're living in. It's gonna be, you're gonna need more than an hour and 15 minutes. You're gonna need some Tituses in your life during the week who are gonna give you courage. Maybe daily, who are gonna send that text message, how you doing? I'm praying for you. You got this. Keep on going. Don't give up. You're going to need those people in your life that you can be honest with, that Titus that you can be honest with and say, I need you to pray for my kids or my marriage. They're struggling and it's discouraging me. You're going to need a Titus that's going to come up and, and, and support you and anchor you and help you in the midst of that to give courage when you're discouraged. Those of you who are married, this is actually one of the purposes that God has given for your spouse is to encourage you. Isn't that crazy? Adam was given Eve to be encouraged, to give him courage. The whole point of marriage, not the, maybe the whole point, one of the big points of marriage is that you would encourage one another. You'd give each other courage. And I think that we see that the enemy hates that because he has done the exact opposite of destroying marriages by, by using the other person to discourage you. Take away your courage, which ultimately takes away your hope. But God didn't design marriage for that way. So if you're married here this morning, I want to I want to just say to you, give your spouse courage. Call out their best in them. Tell them who they are in Christ. Tell them what God's heart for them is. Give them courage. Build them up. Parents, give your kids courage. Listen to this in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to the point of resentment with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating. How many of you guys, in order for your parents to get you to do what you want to do, they humiliated you? You know how discouraging that is? That takes away your courage. It doesn't give you courage. And here Paul is telling you, encourage your kids. Give them courage. Don't discourage them or, or be abusive, nor show favoritism or indifference to any of them. But bring them up tenderly with loving kindness in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here Paul says, you want your kids to thrive? Give them courage. Give them courage. Tenderly. Loving kindness. Here's, here's the thing about this scripture I think is so interesting. He throws in discipline in the middle of encouraging your kids. Did you know that good discipline involves encouragement still? Your kids can feel, I, I messed it, I, I missed it. But when they're disciplined like that, and then you come back around, you say, but I love you. You're my boy. You're my girl. I'm always going to love you. Daddy's going to always love you. Come over here. Give me a hug. 
When you do that, you can encourage them in the midst of discipline. You can give them courage instead of just beating them down. You follow me here this morning? Parents, give your kids courage. Even in the discipline, call out their best. Call out what you see in them. Call out their gifts. Call out how God made them. Call out how God designed them and what he has for them for a future. Don't just, don't just get on them and nitpick like what the Bible says, trivial and unreasonable things, but encourage them. Discipline them with that encouragement. And so let me ask you here this morning. Are you known as someone who gives courage or takes courage? Are you a Titus? Are you somebody that people love to be around because you always give them courage? It just flows off you. It just flows off you, the courage. And here's how you know that, is that when people are around you, they light up because you just gave them courage. And here's how you know that you, you maybe discourage someone a lot or discourage people is that they shrink back. They get quiet. They step back. They, they lose their courage because instead of encouraging them, you discourage them and it caused them to shrink back because you took their courage from them. You follow me? God calls us to, to encourage, to give as much courage away as possible to people. Do you speak comfort to them? Hey, I know you messed up, but let me come alongside you and we're gonna walk out of this pit together. Or do you criticize them with things they did, did wrong and how they need to change? And church, I say all this because this is what God's dealing in me. I have been so critical. I look over this past year and I'm like, man, my heart just went sideways in so many ways where it got critical and the people that were around me got discouraged instead of encouraged. And I've just made a, made a commitment. No more. I want every person that, that comes into my path, even if I have something difficult and hard to say to them, that they leave built up and encouraged, knowing God's heart for them, knowing that they got a good part of them, that, that God has a lot of good in them that he wants to use in their life, even in the midst of the correction. Amen? You guys out there, you guys hearing me this morning? Many of us grew up in homes that only took our courage. And you know who you are. You were, it was never enough. Criticism and humiliation was the way to get you to do what they wanted you to do. It was the beatdown that made you feel less than, that made you climbing back to do what they wanted you to do so you wouldn't feel that humiliation anymore. And then you went to church. Maybe you got saved and went to church. And the church said something like this to you. Don't go encouraging anyone. They get a fat head and pride. And then they can't get out the door at the church and we need them to go home. You know? Don't encourage anyone. They'll get prideful. I just think about that. People can't get the encouragement from their home. They're not getting it from their school. And then they don't get it from church because the church is afraid that everyone's gonna get proud and puffed up. Here's the thing. If they get puffed up over that, that's between them and God. That's not you. You have to do the commandment that God told you to do, and that is to be encouraging, to encourage one another. And so when we have a society where you're not getting it at school, you're getting beaten down by your classmates, you're not getting it at home, you're getting humiliated in order to get what, you, what your parents want from you, and then you're not getting at the church because they're scared you're going to be proud, no wonder people are so depressed and sad. But what if, come on, let's dream together this morning. What if we became a body of believers 
that we made it our goal to encourage every person around us to say, you probably didn't get courage growing up, but I'm gonna give you courage. I'm gonna call out the best in you. I'm gonna call out God's heart for you. What if we started doing that with all of our kids and our, our teenagers and the adults? We, we decided that we were gonna make the commitment to give as, me, as much courage as we possibly could as we were on this earth. As, as we have breath in our lungs, we're gonna use the breath to encourage someone, to call them closer to Jesus, to give them hope. Are you that person that gives courage? Here's the second question. Are you around people who give you courage or who take your courage? They discourage you. And here's what I want to speak to that here this morning. I think we need to be careful of who and what we let in our lives. People, news, social media. These things can drain us of our courage. Now, I'm not saying to just climb into a hole because you're saying, well, I just, you know, it's all discouraging out there. I get it. Find some Tituses. Find some people that are those Titus that they'll come and they'll encourage you. And you might have to set some boundaries and this is gonna be hard for some of you because some of them are family members and this is hard. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to be mean and I, I've dealt with the same thing, but when I'm around you, I feel so beaten down and you take my courage. I, I can only give you this much because I can only take that much discouragement. But here's the thing, if we can start being encouraging with each other, I'll give you all sorts of time because I wanna make sure that we're building each other up and I don't come just out of that battle just licked, you know, and, and having to lick my sores from getting beat up that time. I think that we need to be more careful of what we're letting into our lives and even people that we're letting in to make sure that we're around more encouraging people than discouraging people so that we can be continually called towards God's best for our lives. Amen? Find those encouraging people. Be those encouraging people. Many of you guys, just a side note, any of you guys grew up in that home where they said, yeah, 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 you know that we love you if we were making fun out of you and tearing you down. Anybody grow up in that home? I mean, how sick and twisted is that? This is how you know you're being loved. We just tear you apart. I just, I just think that's just such a weird way. We, have no, we, we don't know how to encourage. We don't know how to love. And so we do these weird things. Oh yeah, you're being loved if you're being ripped apart and discouraged. Well, that's, I, I think there's a word for that. And I'm not trying to be too harsh. It's called abuse. Where you think that you're being loved when you're, when you're being torn down. And again, I, I just, I believe it's so important for us right now to find some encouraging people that will build us up, to be those encouraging people, to build others up. See, something clicked in me this week about all of this. I think that like me, so many of you have all these lies that you're contending with in your head. I have these lies that I'm constantly battling. Some of them I'm aware of. Some of them I don't even realize that they're lies. I think they're the truth. And what happens is that when someone comes into my life and speaks something that, that is connected to these lies, it affirms the lie, and at that point, that lie takes root in my heart. I was thinking this, and now they said it, so they must see it too. It must be true. I'm, and then fill in the blank. See, this is why middle school is so brutal. Because in middle school, you don't know who you are. You're trying to discover who you are. You're super insecure about how you look and how you talk and how you act. And then you go to middle school with a bunch of mean kids that are also in that same thing. And so in your head, you're going, I think that I'm not smart enough. 
and then some kid makes fun out of you for being dumb. And you thought, I knew it. I already thought I was dumb, and now they said I'm dumb. I must be dumb. Or I'm not, I, I don't think I'm very athletic, and I could never be able to play sports. And someone says, you are so uncoordinated. Get on the singing team. Get off the football team. I knew it. I knew it. I can't do that. Or you're, you're struggling with, man, I'm, I'm not pretty enough, and I don't like this. And then someone comes and makes fun of that feature about you that you already are insecure. I knew it. I'm ugly. Have anybody, anyone relating with me here this morning? You have a lie that you're playing with in your head. Somebody comes and speaks a word of discouragement over you and confirms that lie and it takes root in your heart. As opposed to this, you have this lie rolling around in your head and this is how you know you got some good Tituses in your life. And they come in, even if they don't know that lie that you're contending with, they say, no, Kevin, you are this. God has made you this way. And I know that you feel weak and you don't feel like you're enough, but the greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. The Holy Spirit who lives in you, who loves you, and I know you love him, he's gonna be the one that's gonna carry you through and do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever imagine. I need that friend in my life. That's encouragement. They're countering the lie that you're already thinking in your head. That's what we need. We need some encouragers, people that are gonna counter that lie in our head. And maybe it sounds like this. You know, Kevin, you are right. You're not enough. But through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, you can. You can do this. And of yourself, you're right. You can't do it, but God can. And that's what clicked, is that when you have these lies, you need some encouragers. You need some Tituses to counter that lie in your own life. Mature believers are recognized by the way they love and the way they encourage others. Mature believers use their tongues to build people up, not tear them down. They use their mouth as a weapon against the devil, not each other in the church. You're either a threat to the kingdom of darkness or you're a threat to the church. Just think about that. Guys, we're in the same foxhole. Let's not shoot each other. Let's get, the, let's get the artillery pointed out towards the real enemy. It's not, it's not people around us. It's not even your, your city leaders, your local leaders, your government leaders. It's not. We have one enemy. It's a common enemy. His name is Satan, and he is ruthless. You don't need to go around tearing people down, arguing, criticizing. Get the artillery pointed out towards the real enemy and off of each other. And let's stop destroying each other and let's build each other up and encourage each other in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Listen to this in Proverbs 11, 10, 11, and 12. It's the summary of my entire message here this morning. The words of the godly, let's say this together. Is it up there? No. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Are you the godly? It's what comes out of your mouth, just a life-giving fountain. It encourages everyone that's around you. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Hatred stirs up quarrels. You know why there's so much fighting happening right now? Because there's a lot of hatred. But listen to this. But love makes up for all offenses. That's what takes care of the problem, is love. Let me ask you, how well are you doing in loving others? keeping the unity and encouraging others. How well have you been doing through this COVID-19 stuff? These are the markers 
of how mature you are. Give yourself a grade even, and don't do this to beat yourself up. And actually, you might need a trusted, loving friend that will help you give a fair assessment on this. But give yourself a grade. How well are you loving others? How well are you keeping the unity? And how well are you encouraging others? And if you're like, man, I am failing miserably, it's okay. Turn back to Jesus. Ask him to help you and be the one that's gonna encourage people and not discourage. I want you to close your eyes here this morning. I wanna read out of 1 Corinthians 13, that next part of what it says. And as you have your eyes closed, the worship team's gonna come on up. And I want them to sing one more song before we uh, close here today. And this song is so encouraging. And my hope is that not one person here today would leave discouraged, but that the worship team would bring forth courage into your life. And so let me go ahead and read this. Go ahead and just stand to your feet. Let's, go, let's just stand up here this morning too. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. Love is not, jeal- is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. Oh, man. COVID-19, church, honestly, it's made me so irritable. And some of you guys have gotten that, and I'm, and I'm sorry. I apologize. Some of you guys here in this room, I've been irritable with you, and I'm sorry for that. But that's not love. God, I want your love. It keeps no record of being wronged. It's quick to forgive. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful. We can be hopeful in the midst of COVID-19. We can be hopeful. and endure through every circumstance. Let's endure through this as a church. So this is what I want you to do. You can sing along if you want, but if you have your eyes closed, if if you'd feel comfortable just putting your hands out, and I want you to receive this encouragement from this song. It's a powerful song. And just let it encourage you. Let the Lord build you up. Let this worship team build you up and encourage you and to give you courage here this morning.